Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Flip Your Lid. Thank you for being here. Today is a little bit different. I don't even know if I can say that anymore because everything's different. So, <laughs> but what I mean today is that I am not asking the questions. Ooh. Yeah. So I have my two best friends here. The most important best friend. Let's be I was clear. Say, I was Let's be say. clear. Is my wife, Larissa Miller Honeycutt. And I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Thank you. That. The voice y'all just heard is my second best friend. He's my second favorite four, and he's my male best friend. If, you're, if I can throw that out there, that is Thomas Floyd, psychotherapist, <laughs> counselor, and just an all around, just great, creative, silly four, good guy. Quite a gem. That was that was a great introduction. Thank you, oh, ma'am. Thanks. Off the cuff. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm going to jump out of this seat and I'm going right. to let you do what you want to do with us. All right. Well, the first question to both of you: What's been flipping your lids recently? Ooh, Thomas, you you go. Please go first. Um, I think lots of things. I've been thinking about lots of different things. Obviously, first off, just with things going on. You know, as therapists, Kim could probably tell you, like, when things happen nas- at a national scale, you know, like, our, our people are affected by those things. So, we, mm. you know, we, we have to talk about those things. But I think outside of that as well, um, I've been thinking a lot about stage theories and, like, developmental theories mm. and, um, you know, things like spiral dynamics, mm-hmm. um, things like the four stages of church, which Mm -hmm. is the Brian McLaren thing. Um, And just different, even James Fowler and different stages of faith, all of those kinds of things have been really interesting to me because, um, you know, a lot of our people that we're helping navigate life are thinking about, you know, what do I do with faith? What do I do with what Mm -hmm. I believe when the way I was raised doesn't seem to fit what I know to be true in my life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was a very long answer, but essentially just thinking about like stage theory and different developmental theories. Mm-hmm. So, That's good. Yeah. 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 I'm so with you with that. Like I, and I posted about this recently, the pain of watching almost all of my patients coming in needing to talk about how triggered they are since Roe v. Wade was overturned mm-hmm. And it's not because they are in, had an abortion or in position to have one. It's not that. It's feeling raped by the system, and they go back into their own sexual trauma or their own domestic violence because it feels like domestic violence to a lot of people. And when you've yeah. had somebody in your life, a person of authority, and I think authority has a lot to do with what you're talking about, about stages of development and faith. People don't realize how yeah. much your understanding of authority comes in to your stages of faith and stages of development. But... When someone of authority, when you're young and impressionable, or at any time, particularly when you're young, takes over your body and decides what your body is allowed to feel and experience, and then you have a system, no matter what your view is on it, whether you're pro-life, pro-birth, pro-choice, whatever it is, a system that does that, and you don't know how to find choice, where to mm-hmm. put your feet, how to land in that, it's been very yeah. painful to sit with people with that, and an honor to sit with them, but and, and on Top of that is I've asked so many people, like, would you find a church this Sunday? Absolutely not is the answer. Mm-hmm. Like, like, my guess is in the past two weeks, very few people have converted to Christianity. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. yeah. Right? Because it's it's really more attraction than promotion. And what's been happening is that we've been promoting this idea, this, this level of superiority. Mm-hmm. And that is not attractive. Hmm. And how do you think um, spiritual trauma plays into the stages, Mm. the four stages of church? Or do you think it does? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe, I think what might be helpful, my answer to that is yes. Uh, I also think it would be helpful to maybe talk about what the four stages are. Mm -hmm. Because what we find, um, and once again, for people that want to Google this, this is Brian McLaren. He, He wrote Faith After Doubt which is a really good book that kind of 
outlines all of this a little more. But uh, one of the things that that we find is that most churches are in stage one and stage two. And a lot of trauma happens in stage one and stage two. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for example, stage one is has a lot to do with like dualism and fundamentalism, right? Mm-hmm. So think this way, mm-hmm. think this way and not that way. So yeah. they treat the Bible as wanting, you know, the, the book that gives me the answers, not mm-hmm. the book that leads me into a deeper kind of spirituality. Mm-hmm. So a lot of fundamentalism or dualism or, you know, if anyone's familiar with Richard Rohr's work, binary thinking, like yes or no, in and out. All of that stuff is found in stage one thinking, right? Yes. And then stage two, um, and by the way, I didn't even <laughs> name the stage. Stage one is um, simplicity. So that's mm-hmm. what stage one is. Stage two is complexity. So for example, in stage two, there's more options. So you have like, um, you know, maybe there's a different way to look at something and you get out of that, you know, stage stage one where it's like either or, mm-hmm. you know, this is the answer and this is not the answer. Um, we're looking for other options outside of the, the option that was given to us. Mm-hmm. But even in stage two, if you if you hit on certain topics that that church or that institution isn't for, you're going to get a lot of pushback because they might say, we're very open to looking at things very differently and they might use the right kind of language. They might even say they're inclusive. Mm-hmm. But then if you touch on a topic or a subject mm-hmm. that they have a dogmatic or theological disagreement with, they're like, oh, we're not touching that. And, right. yeah. um, or, or they'll say we're neutral. And that's the way of saying not touching it. They'll say they're neutral. Right, 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 right. Which um, I'm all for hearing where a person is coming from. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the language of neutrality can be an easy way out for you not to side with people that are oppressed or that are marginalized. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of... But to answer your question, Larissa, mm-hmm. we're going to find in this podcast that I'm very long-winded, but to answer your question mm-hmm. is stage one is where a lot of trauma happens mm-hmm. because you're not really allowed to ask questions. Yeah. So if you, so for example, if someone is someone's way of being is different than the way you were raised, that is immediately shut down. Mm-hmm. So what we know about trauma, right, is that the biggest consequence of trauma is that it forces you to be somebody not so and i don't know i think it was shanina fisher who said that but also peter levine also talked about that how it literally forces you to be somebody that you're not right so Mm -hmm. all of these i would say most um evangelical churches are in stage one so So they're they're in that stage let me ask you this brother so isn't there a stage zero isn't part of like the ego development, doesn't Brian name like almost like a sub category before yeah. you even go into stage one? Can I, is that, am I correct in that? Yeah, ego centricity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's called egocentricity, yeah. which is, which is all about like yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, and you know, I love Ken Wilber. He is uh, an integrative psychologist, talks a lot about transpersonality or transpersonal psychology, as I call it. And so I yeah. just want to, the only thing I came in here prepared to say, honestly, is really I want to give you his quote because he talks about two levels of religion. And then the first one, that they foster highly egocentric people mm. centered around their particular view of God, church, country, patriotism. These believers are sure they will be saved because their meaning system tells them so. They feel like they are at the center of the world and can criticize and judge others outside their special group. They perceive the world according to personal advantage. Whew. That is such an amazing quote. And so he, he keeps it simple that there's two steps, two levels. Level one is it's ego. It means that you stay within the confines of what you already know and what you've always known. So when your neighbor doesn't look like your neighbor, 
then you don't have to love them. You don't have to see them because they don't fit into your group. Then there's mm-hmm. nothing extended to them besides mm-hmm. judgment and criticism. His point is that very few religions don't get to step two, which is the transformation, which is what Thomas said about the Bible is a, a deep dive into a personal relationship, into spirituality and relationship with Jesus. And so mm. I just wanted to read that. I, I think that is profound. Mm, that's really powerful. Any, I've been saying for a little bit now that any kind of, and this is, I just want to be clear. I come from the Christian tradition. So I, a lot of my critiques are the people I know and the things that I grew up with, but this can be found in any kind of religious experience or religious institution. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be found there. I mean, there are toxic expressions of the Muslim faith and the Hindu faith and even atheistic thought. That's why for me, it's so important to be, like you said, Kim, to be aware of the role of the ego. Right. If we're not aware about how the ego will lead the way, we will tell people that God looks like this when in reality it's our ego that wants God to look that way. Yeah, that is and I so think that, good. Yeah. That's like a that's a very, very important distinction to be able to say my experiences and my upbringing lead me to think that maybe God is this way, but in reality he might not be. Right. Because what we find as we do the work is that maybe we do God, we do want God to be more paternal because we grew up in a very paternal family. Maybe we do want God to be more controlling Mm -hmm. because we grew up in a controlling family. So like you and I have talked about before, Kim, unlearning all of our coping mechanisms and survival strategies. It's if you can't unlearn, you will end up hurting not only yourself, but the people Mm -hmm. around you. Yeah, absolutely. So So for Brian McLaren's, Stages. He has four stages, right? So we talked about simplicity. The second one is yep. complexity. Yeah. Um, There's and, then, and yeah. And just to summarize, the so simplicity is you're either for us or against us. Mm-hmm. So it's all or nothing thinking. And then for complexity is there's more than one way to do things. So you, which sounds crazy sometimes, but if you're in fundamentalist Christianity, it can be so relieving to say, oh there's multiple ways to view hell or there's different ways Christians have thought about sin or there's different ways Christians have thought about uh, sexuality, you know, Mm -hmm. the role of sexuality. So, yeah, so that's complexity. And then perplexity is everyone has an opinion. So everyone has an opinion. And so in perplexity, there's a lot of cynicism and Mm -hmm. people that are skeptical Mm -hmm. about religion and spirituality mm-hmm. and just in life in general. And a lot of times there's anger. Anger is a really big piece and perplexity because mm-hmm. people are really angry about the hurt that's been caused. Yeah. And I want to say this to jump in. You can also find this in 12 step programs. Mm. Mm. The difference is the 12th step working the 12 steps is an going towards a spiritual awakening. It is going towards level two of religion. It is going towards a spiritual awakening, especially when you're taught right. But part of what Brian did in these four stages that's so brilliant is that he really brings authority into this because in AA, you have a sponsor who becomes your authority. And it has Mm -hmm. a lot to do with how that person interacts with the idea of control and power of how well you will be. And I think that's very similar with pastors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in simplicity, in the first step, the pastor is literally God's representative, and he knows everything, and everything. He, can, he or she cannot be challenged. Oh, it'll be a he. <laughs> <laughs> in stage one, it's a he. In stage one, because it wouldn't, because in, in Christian religion anyway, let me say just in Christian religion, yeah. a, woman, a woman in stage one would not be allowed on the stage, is my point. Right? That's true. In our, so, in our Christian space. In our yes. Christian space. Maybe not in other <laughs> other areas, but in Christianity, if you're in a yeah. stage one church, a woman will not be on that stage. Yeah. And the key moral Correct. question yeah. for stage one is, what do our authority figures say? Right. That's Correct. their right. key moral question. Right. So right there. So that's that's the codependency and the dependency with the authority figure. Yes. That is still seeking approval from somebody and that you're living outside in. It's what It's what they say about you that determines your day and your mood. Right. It sounds very like other referenced. Other referenced. Yeah. Yes. 
But also, Kim, my question to you is, you talk a lot about how your journey has, um, it's about connection to the self. Correct. Right? Yeah. Simplicity does a terrible job, an awful job of any kind of connection to the self. Yeah. Right? That's right. Because you're you're always trying to find validation by what authority figures are saying. So there is no connection to the self at all in simplicity. And and no permission to receive anything to have connection to self. So think about that. That works for the people who are already in authority. It works great for them. They don't have to look at themselves. They just have to get you to look at them. Mm. Correct. And so in complexity, there is more connection to the self, but still not the way you find it in perplexity and really in harmony as well. Okay. Because in complexity, you're still ask, you're asking questions. You're like, but if the question is, is so for example, in, in some church circles, like drinking alcohol or drinking any kind of thing or is like, it's the worst thing ever, yeah. right? Um, but in other church circles, the idea of you being open to not being a straight male is something you won't talk about. It, yeah. So in different church expressions, mm-hmm. different topics will be things that get you excommunicated or that you can't even discuss or talk about. Yeah. So in yeah. complex, that happens in complexity because some churches will be like, we're we're open to different kinds of things, but then something happens and it's like, ah, we're not actually that open to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, we've yeah. experienced we, we that. Understand that. <laughs> Personally experienced that thinking we were in stage four and we got demoted pretty fast to stage two. So well, yes, we experienced we got that. Demoted, but. Well, I got demoted. How about that? Well, yeah. it really wasn't a true demotion. It was letting us go to a different place actually. But that is because we decided not to be victims of what happened to us. Right. All right. Um, so let's dive back in. So you were talking about perplexity, stage three, and then the next stage is harmony. Yeah. Right? Stage four? Yeah. So in perplexity, what happens in perplexity is anger is a really big piece of perplexity, where mm-hmm. you're essentially, have you all seen that meme of like the person essentially like blowing it up? like blowing and then just kind of walking away and looking yeah. like, yeah, I did this. That's what happens in perplexity. Uh, that's good. You, you are done with the rules that have been handed down to you. The problem with perplexity at times, in my opinion, is that your ego can still be running yeah. the show in perplexity yeah. because you're so angry about burning it all yeah. down that you, you can end up kind of hurting people in the process. Yeah. So, what happens in harmony is you are very open. You know that there are different ways of doing things, but now there's kind of a, there's like a kindness and a compassion, but also a firmness about this is the way to do things. So Richard Rohr talks about like the third way where he essentially says you can hold two truths, but still have an opinion about, I hear what you're saying but this is still what I believe because of my experience and because of what I've learned. Mm-hmm. So um, harmony is more of the anger. And I would say even sometimes the the grief and hatred that comes with being so mm-hmm. hurt is no longer there. Mm-hmm. So spiritual trauma, spiritual trauma begins in some in simplicity. And then in complexity, you start asking more questions. But I, I think, in between complexity and perplexity is a lot over spiritual trauma. You start you start grieving all of the trauma that happened in simplicity mm-hmm. uh, and complexity as well. Mm, that's good. Now, here's a question. He calls these the four stages of churches. So I'm kind of hearing this, that it happens on an individual level, but does it also happen on more a broader church level? Like, do we see churches that are mm. in stage one and churches that are in stage four? Does that mean that people that are attending four are in harmony? Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it's a great question. I think it goes, I think, yes, to answer your question. And I think it goes into looking at a church's attachment style. I think it's very correlated mm. with is a secure connection because when we are securely connected, 
to self, which means a God within, and that's who's leading the church, right? So if I if I have a preoccupied attachment and I'm running a ministry and running a group, then they can't go beyond that. I can't teach them beyond preoccupied, right? Like I have to be securely connected mm-hmm. myself to teach mm-hmm. them. So churches are the same. So, you know, we subconsciously gravitate to jobs, churches, marriages. It has a lot to do with what's unresolved, what's still wounded, what we know and what we're actually trying to heal from, but we always don't have an awareness, a consciousness that that's what we're doing. And I think that's such part of the process of going from unconscious to conscious to higher consciousness. Needing awareness in all of that. I think there are churches out there right now that are very much stage four. And when you're stage four, I think you're okay if people are in different stages. Mm. If you're in stage two and someone isn't there with you, they will be they will be the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bingo. Mm. Yeah, so stage four, remember, um, all great spirituality is letting go. You start letting go and unlearning. So in stage four, you're mature enough to be able to see, oh, it's not my job to force yeah. everybody to see my right. way, right. which is very, very different than definitely different than simplicity and complexity. Right. Right. Um, because there is a, there is a, there's a level of, it's not my job to, to, you know, convert someone into what I think. Yeah, I, right. I think, and make, I think that one of the, one of the things that the Protestant church, the evangelical church has done wrong is we've taken the great commission and we've made that the most important Bible verse of anywhere in the Bible, where it is mm. our job to force everybody to believe and think the way that we think. Yeah. That, that is a very American evangelical problem. Right. Mm. Other expressions of the faith don't have that same issue. So we think that it's our job to change somebody when we don't even have a relationship with them. Like I've right. seen all these, all these posts online about like, you know, how can we need to be a pro-life like country and a pro-life this and a pro-life this. And how could you do this? You don't even have a relationship with the person you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And you think that they are going to adopt what your ideology is without mm-hmm. even relating with that person. So the, a lot of those posts or those kinds of people are are in that complexity, perplexity, or even simplicity stage mm-hmm. where, you know, you have, you have to have nuance and an openness to think, Hey, maybe, I, maybe what I was taught about abortion is wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe what I was taught about different things, there's more than one way to see it. Yeah. And, and I think that goes into just understanding that there are complex and traumatic reasons why people won't look beyond what they already know. Mm-hmm. But we can look and see if you think and do something at age 30 the same way you did at age five, we, we probably will, would see that as, as regressed. But when it comes to relationship with God or your understanding of the Bible, in yeah. the relationship, you're not allowed to change where you are. I think there's incredible contradiction about the idea that we're called to be a new creation and that we're mm. called to be to a different level, a different stage to keep progressing. Because really what, what, if you're in an unhealthy toxic system, the emphasis is actually put on the individual staying mm-hmm. where they are. So they look like everybody at the table. That is mm-hmm. not a new creation. That is not a new story. That is toxicity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of this has to do with an inability to be able to look at the past mm-hmm. as something that can actually be helpful in who you are as a person. Like right. when I've heard new creation verses, it's always about don't focus too much on the negative. There's something greater for you. There's something right. more for you. Right. Well, that's, that's all fine and dandy. Uh, as a four, I, I could actually use some of that in my own life sometimes. I get that there's, but we also dismiss people that have experienced spiritual trauma that have mm-hmm. experienced things in the past. Mm-hmm. And that past is dictating their fight and flight responses. Yeah. That like, that is very, very traumatic when we say things like, just keep going, 
you know, yeah. go on to bigger and better things. Yeah, that's um, so true because, it, you know, productivity is a trauma response. Trying to fix things mm-hmm. is actually a trauma response, and it keeps you in a part of your brain that there's no connection. So mm-hmm. you're actually that's trying right. to fix people, but you can't connect to them. It's just I need you to look a certain way, act a certain way, so that yeah. I can be comfortable. But that comfort is what you've always known. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's no room for other people. And I think we become a new creation. There's room for you and room for others. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We make room true. for new things and different things. Yeah. So how do we get from the simplicity level mm-hmm. to stage four? Like, what does that path and that journey look like? A lot of pain so- and crisis and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Awesome. Right. Yay. Sign I, me up. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to qualify this by saying it's not like a, like any kind of healing journey, like it's not like we go and we reach harmony and then we never go back. Like mm-hmm, traumatic experiences can force you to be back in simplicity and complexity. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if trauma hits you or if you suffer a really like wounding thing, you can definitely be back in simplicity mindset. Yeah. So um, I would say we don't want to stay there for long periods of time. But it's, I just don't want people to hear this and feel like shame if, if mm-hmm. they had been progressing and then they go back to a space mm-hmm. for whatever that they had to maybe think more binarily about something. Mm-hmm. But I would say from, a, from like a 10 feet above view, the way the number one thing you can do is to be curious about who you are, about the people around you, about your impulses or the things that you gravitate towards. Curiosity is really the word that continues to, like Mm -hmm. it continues to come up in the literature and in the research. Mm -hmm. If you can have a curiosity about, hmm, maybe the way I responded to this person has more to do with me and my need to control or me and my need to avoid than it does with the reality of the situation, that's a really good first step to get you out of simplicity. Because people that aren't curious, people that are like, this is just the way it is, it's really, really hard for them Mm -hmm. to ever get above stage one and stage two. Because they're so sure that they are right about what they do. So I I would say, I, I don't know if you agree with that or not, Kim, but I really think curiosity is such a big component. It is, and I'll add to that, but I, I stand with you on that. Awareness and learning to receive equals wisdom. Mm. In that I have made a religion and been in simplicity category or beige level of spiral dynamics. Mm. I have been bottom level with alcohol, with mm. trauma. I've been there. Because so I think it's important to note, like, we're talking about idols. We're talking about that the authority yep. in each sta- stage becomes there's an idol for you. There is the approval you need, being seen by people of authority. Mm-hmm. Like, it becomes an idol. And mm-hmm. so I've made an idol out of alcohol. I've made an idol out of food. Like, I've gone into religion mm-hmm. with a 12-step program. Like, I have done so many things where I thought I had it completely going on and I was right. And if you didn't get sober through AA, you would never get sober, right? If you didn't believe in Jesus, you would never, ever enter any type of afterlife worthy. Like, like I have absolutely been there. And that's part of the compassion and the oomph you can hear when I speak yes. is I don't have a right to tell someone to be where I am. I'm just so aware of where I was and how different it is to sit here today in the freedom. But I had to first have an awareness of the parts of myself and have a curiosity mm. towards the parts that were acting as if they were my adult self. Yes. I had to really acknowledge that those were very much the adapting and adjusting to life parts that you can live in and think it's your adult self because my adult self is wise and, and that is my essence. And so being able to receive new information being able to receive things about myself that are uncomfortable really has led to wisdom, which is what I think the Bible is. I think it's a book of wisdom. Mm. Mm. So you brought up spiral dynamics and I've heard Richard Ward talk about the mean greens. Yes. So in Brian McLaren's four (laughs) stages, let's say you get to stage three or four, 
how do you then not look at people that are still stage one and two mm. in like, how do you look at them in still like a loving, curious way when you've kind of just come from that stage? Does that make sense? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> um, you, I think you approach life with a sense of humility and you never think that you've arrived. You never think you there's like, even in us talking about this, one of the things like me now versus me three or four years ago is approaching this very differently compared yes. to when yes. I learned the Enneagram yeah. and I thought I was the answer to every problem <laughs> yes. ever. Right. And I was That's like, right. I should have gotten paid by the Enneagram Institute with how much right. I was talking about it. Right. Yes. We both but, should have yeah. promised. I feel like yeah. I both of us. Too, yeah. Yes. Yes. And but you definitely. I was, but I was in ego state when mm-hmm. I was doing that because I was like, this is the answer. Mm-hmm. You need to do this. Mm-hmm. I wasn't holding it loosely. So right. I was actually, even though I was learning something new, which was complexity, I was in many ways really in simplicity mm-hmm. because I was like, and then when people were like, well, it's not really my thing. Something within me was like, well, it needs to be your thing. Like, right. what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? It's not I relate. your thing. I relate. Well, that's ego. That's that's my need to be right. Mm-hmm. I would say that even as we study this and spiral dynamics, to hold it loosely and to be humble is a really good way of not like judging people that just are on a different journey mm-hmm. because we don't, we don't know what people are going through. We yeah. don't, you know, three, four five years ago when I really got into the Enneagram, I wasn't taking into consideration that Enneagram chat might be triggering for them because of whatever their experiences were. Sure. So sure. I don't know yeah. if that answered your question, but just yeah. to hold it with just a more humble and just a looser way. Yeah, Lisa group. I like that. Yeah, there's. I could talk about this for five hours, and let me try to <laughs> try to put this succinctly. Yeah, go. let's go right. And all three of us talk about this a lot. This is so crucial, and this is where grace and attunement mm. and body of awareness and all the things that develop in the prefrontal cortex when you actually have secure connection to self and others. It's awareness of all those terms. And, and, and their experience of when I'm there versus when someone calls Enneagram personality test and I'm like, it's not a personality test. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's just that idea. It's the same thing in or that I'm, moment. I'm a three-winged five. Right, right, exactly. And you <laughs> no. start sweating. You start sweating, <laughs> right? I know. And, so, and again, it's like I can make a religion. I can be egotistical about anything mm. and really looking at what is my need to separate instead of connect? Why is that? What came in as a threat? Why did I lose my safety and connection to self that I need to come in larger and more superior or inferior, right? Because your ego keeps you superior or inferior. It doesn't let you connect. And again, it keeps you really safe, but really small. And so when I'm large, it means I'm out of my ego. It means there's space for me, there's space for you. I won't play small, nor will I need to play large. I just will be. I'll take up the space that I'm allowed and open Mm -hmm. and willing to take up. And again, I think it goes into like the spectrum of the attachment styles and then connection, secure connection. That like I can I can go up and down the spectrum within an hour, right? I can go from unresolved right. attachment to secure connection, especially if I understand my process and I have awareness and I'm receiving, I'm going towards wisdom, right? With that wise self within. So I think a lot of it's really understanding, am I in a place of safe? connection is their attunement versus I need you to see and hear me because I'm not seeing and hearing you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I think about my need and I'm not going to sacrifice me for you, nor do I, in my relationship with you, you're expecting me to just be there for you or I'm expecting you to just be there for me. So it's implicitly goes back to, I'm okay. I'm going to trust you're okay. Getting out of the idea of I'm not okay, but long as you're okay. Or, I'm okay, I don't care if you're okay. And that is what I see on social media. People constantly really comfortable with the idea, as long as they're okay, they don't care about you. I I don't have to engage in that when I'm at a higher level. Mm -hmm. I think people in recovery get this in a way that others who haven't done recovery work don't. Because they are so broken and desperate 
for something that they they literally have let go because mm-hmm. they have no other option. It's either let go or die right. sometimes. Right. Yeah. And so I think this is why Roar says that. And I know that a, I've heard horror stories about AA too. So I'm not sure. saying I'm not putting it up on this yeah. pedestal that they're they're perfect. But for AA communities that do it well, mm-hmm. there is a journey of letting go mm-hmm. and of surrender that I think they tap more into that than any kind of American Christianity does because there's a desperation for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, something else, because clearly everything I've been doing isn't actually working. And I don't know if Kim, you can speak to that or not, but like, I really do Mm -hmm. believe that people who have done recovery work touch on the heart, on the heart of God or on a deeper spirituality than most people. Yeah, I think that's well said, and I've experienced both ends of that, being a very healthy group within a 12-step program, and then being in moments of unhealthy where it was the same thing. I didn't speak and look and act the way they wanted me to, and therefore some authority right. would come towards me, even though we're not supposed to have authority in AA. Somebody that had some authority over me, a sponsor, somebody would come to me and speak to me because I was no longer fitting their mold, which is still level one simplicity. Mm. And so but to be able to know that I'm not willing to walk away from me for you. Mm-hmm. And yes. Here's the other piece of that. And this is something that's beautiful about AA because you hear so many complex, different stories and backgrounds. Because, like, I'm sitting there as somebody who's a probation officer who grew up with money, had incredible privilege. I'm sitting beside somebody who's been on probation. I've worked at mental institutions, somebody who's been in the same mental institutions, and we're side by side, right. both leaning on every word being said by the speaker because mm-hmm. we're both trying to stay alive. Hmm. And so if you are unable, or let me try to put this nicely, hang on. If you are able, because you've done the work, or it's natural for you, whatever it is, you are able to not have experienced something instead of empathy and compassion for, the, for that, I thank you. This world needs you. This country needs you. When you question someone's pain, when you mm. question their experience of racism, their experiences of homophobia, when you don't believe what someone's saying, that is a different level. And for me, mm. not needing someone to believe what I'm saying would be a beautiful level. I'm not always there. I, right? Yeah. But if we all could just believe each other mm-hmm. and hear each other and say, well, it must be horrible mm. to stand here and fear it now because you're a black man. When I can just walk into TJ Maxx and I have no regard to issue, but I can believe when my friend Daryl tells me it's hard for him. Mm-hmm. And what it's like for him when someone doesn't believe his experience. Mm-hmm. It's just a secondary trauma. And he, it, we don't, none of us need more trauma about being different. Right. That's good. Um, I like what Brian McLaren was saying. Um, he noted that we should explore Jesus as a teacher. Mm. that Jesus models working with people in each stage and always brings them farther along on their journey. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how do you think that, how do you think that we can do that? Is it our role to do that mm. um, in today's time and culture? Go ahead, Kim. I love Jesus. I love learning from Jesus. I love that he spoke in parables and metaphors. I love that. I think he was sarcastic. That is my interpretation and I, I bring this up a lot. And that is, I think, a lot about the woman at the well. I think about that she's there at noon and so is he. And that the religious people, the people who only love those who look like them and act like them, are there at 7 a.m. when it's cool and it's easy. And I think that's so metaphoric of what people are doing today that don't know what it's like to have certain experiences, don't know what it's like to not have upward mobility, have so many different issues mm-hmm. that they just have not experienced. And they are, as long as they can go at 7 a.m., who cares if the marginalized are there at noon? People are preaching from the pulpit about the woman at the well, and they're still sending people to the well at noon. Mm-hmm. And so I I hope we all just study Jesus, how he treated people, what he said, how he interacted. You know, the the two greatest commandments, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. Do you know what your mind is? Do you know what heart Mm. is? Do you know what soul is? That's the deconstruction of the ego Mm. and the rebuilding of a godly self. 
mm-hmm. right? Like when I know all my parts and all the things I'm doing that keeps you at, at a distance from me and the things I do that uh, because I'm just trying to adapt and I'm just staying in my trauma. When I know all of that and that is surrendered and that is recovered and that is healed, then not only am I loving the Lord, my God, with all of that, I'm loving you mm. with all of that. Mm. Really I wish good. I saw more of that. I wish I could experience it more myself. I could do it more for myself too, right? I'm in the process too, but I wish I witnessed more of that. Mm. Yeah, that's, that'd be beautiful. I think it is important to also know that there are different seasons for different things. Mm. Like not all of us are in a season of radical uh involvement in a church right mm-hmm. or not all mm-hmm. of us are in the season and so i really like what brian is saying there but i also think that there are seasons where we're going to be in more complexity and that sometimes may mean for different people that they don't want to set foot in a church for yeah. a hot minute yeah you know they don't want to set foot with their family for a hot minute And you know what? That is okay because that might be what's necessary for them Mm -hmm. to heal. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously what I would say is over time, you know, those things might change, but they might not. Yeah. This is why I get on a soapbox sometimes when I, when I hear people say things like you need to return to church, that place for those people is the place that they have been traumatized. And what we know to be true is that you can't grow. You can't actually, you can't heal and grow in the place that caused the trauma. Yeah, that's good. And so at least early on, right. Things might change over time. And so all of us, this is why I think perplexity and harmony Mm. forces us to think, to, to say, Oh, well, that's not my journey. You know, Mm -hmm. my journey is this, but I can see how your journey, how going back to that environment would be super hard for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for all of us, we're just in different and or different points in life where we get to have mercy and Mm -hmm. grace, as Kim Mm -hmm. was saying, for people that have a different journey. Yeah. Um, So I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about Brian McLaren's four stages of the church, and you all have talked a little bit about spiral dynamics. So how do those two things coincide? Do they? um, There's eight levels with spiral dynamics, right? Correct. So how do they? Do they work together at all? I know way less about spiral dynamics than I know about this. So I do not want to speak as... I've listened to a couple of podcasts about spiral dynamics and it's been a while since I kind of touched it again, but I I think the similarities are that they are both tools. Mm -hmm. And I've heard Ken Wilber say this and Brian McLaren, they're both tools to help us understand how we get to grow spiritually. Yeah. So they're not the final answer. They're Mm -hmm. not what I did to the Enneagram, right? They're not (laughs) the end all be all. They are just tools. And hopefully what they do over time is they help us they help us gain a greater awareness about how our ego mm-hmm. runs ahead of us if we're mm-hmm. not careful. Mm-hmm. So that they, they help us understand our egoic responses, mm-hmm. which which I think that should be enough for every pastor to want to learn about this stuff. Because it mm-hmm. would it would allow them to see how their ego is, is in charge and how it's leading the way. Mm-hmm. So, so I think those are, that's how I see these, these tools. Yes. So I, I love both. Also, you know, one of the most simplistic things out there is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, mm-hmm. even that I think has such a beauty and part yes. of our foundation to it. And as I've said before, any chart, spiral dynamic, Brian's four stages, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of need, any stage you find is a guide, it's an instrument to have an idea of where you are. And not one of those charts will say, once you're against a group of people, 
<laughs> you have arrived. This is it. You are the deal. It That's is right. not about being against self or others. And so when That's you right. look at the lower levels, you are against yourself and you're against others, right? And so it becomes about relationship with authority or relationship with task instead of with God. And so, you know, even St. Bernard, which <laughs> it's still hard for me to say it without laughing, but <laughs> it's a true name. His name is St. Bernard. He did four levels of love of self and God. And it's really, it was out, written there a long time ago. It's very similar to this. And, and I find all of it profound of, because part of what he says, St. Bernard, is that you will not learn to love God by bypassing self. Mm-hmm. And yes. so it's level of simplicity, level one of any things. If you are neglecting self and just going into task and service for others, you have missed a crucial role. You have missed something so important. And if you believe that Jesus was sent and that he eventually died for you because he was killed by a system, he was killed by religious leaders. If you believe he died and there's a crucifixion, there's a resurrection for you in that, why would God allow and watch his son die and then tell you to neglect yourself? Mm-hmm. Like you're an important, vital piece of what's going on. And those who are in positions of authority now who don't want you to look at yourself, it is for their self gain. If you gain yourself preach that preach right? that you gain yourself you know who you are you will burst from that level and you'll end up somewhere where you actually get to grow and have a voice and have choice and that is what we have to have to safe if we're going to get out of the perplexity of the system that we're in right now where we are not allowed to show up as self whether it's in family corporation systems and churches but particularly in the church, if you can't show up at yourself where you go to church, that is not your church. Mm. That's right. I also think this has to do, like Kim said, with attachment theory. Mm-hmm. A lot of the theology that's taught in churches is a shame-filled attachment. Yep, that's right. Which makes you feel bad about yourself yeah. and who right. you are. It yeah. is impossible to grow and to be a healthy mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. and hate yourself. Yeah, that's it's, right. it's, it's not a that's thing, right. right? That's right. And so we have to be able to, and and I not only have I been at churches that teach this, but I know countless people that have experienced mm-hmm. this. It is when you tell people who you are is bad, wretched, mm-hmm. and foul, yeah. Yeah. and you need yeah. a savior that's to right. come rescue you, or you need groups. a savior to put his thoughts in your head because your thoughts are bad. Mm-hmm. Do we understand the amount of anxiety and mm-hmm. fear that people mm-hmm. are facing mm-hmm. when that's yeah. the theology that yeah. you're living with over yeah. and over and over? So no wonder people don't want anything to do yeah. with, uh, with church experiences a lot of times because well, that's the place that taught them that's that right. they were bad. Well, it, and even with that, for some people, that's not the first place they're taught it. It's in within the family system. It's still the earning mentality. That's right. In the That's control right. within the family system. And so if you have already experienced that, and then at any age, you can be an adult, and then you get broken, you go to church, and it's that type of church, it will feel so familiar to you, you'll think you're home. Mm-hmm. And then it now becomes a second parenting. It becomes a mm-hmm. negative reparenting. Like if now if I can get that pastor to say I'm good enough since mommy and daddy couldn't, then I'll be okay. Hmm. And so I think that they bank on that in some way. They're waiting for people who are hurt and broken, who are it become they are so familiar with that sensation in their body of I'm a bad kid That's that they right. can hear that sermon and it, it just goes right along with what they've already known. And this becomes their second chance to get somebody else to tell them they're good enough. Mm. And Jesus already no, said what we're I, I totally agree with that. I think yeah. that that is that is key. I've, I've found that people that, that grow up in perfectionistic households mm-hmm. then attach the idea of God wanting them to be perfect. Yeah, and it, right. it, creates, it creates this mm-hmm. perfectionism mm-hmm. and individualism that they have to get it right. Yeah. And to me, one of, the, one of my favorite theologians, his name is Walter Brueggemann. And he said this one time and it changed the way I see things. Mm. He said, if, 
if American Christians want to grow spiritually, look at what your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, what topics and issues are they passionate about? Mm. And you will find that the topics and issues that Christians in America are super passionate about are not always the topics that they're interested in. Mm. And he was engaging in complexity and perplexity there. He Mm. was trying to get people to look outside of what they were taught. Mm -hmm. And he said, when you do that, you'll realize that a lot of things that were called Christian in America are just American things that we clouded under the title of Christianity. Mm. And so when I heard, you know, when I started deconstructing and I heard Walter say this, I guess like four or five years ago, it completely changed the way I saw things because it was like, there are, there are whole groups of people that are trying to emulate who Jesus is and what he Mm -hmm. looks like. And they have a completely different value system. And they, the, the issues that they're passionate about are not about how we're going to get rid of abortions or, you know, freak mm-hmm. out when two gay people get married. You know, like they have a completely different way of thinking. Their, their ethic is more about love of neighbor mm-hmm. and what can we do for our mm-hmm. community and how can we provide meals to people that don't. It's just, it's radically different. Yeah. So... Anyway, yeah, that's so good. And I want to throw this out that it's to just think about that it's important that this starts off to really know, like, you as a person, as God's child, whatever it is for you, that let it start there, right? That there's so much time. If you take a year of your life to figuring out the parts of self that won't let you actually come from self, and then after that, it's a life of service. Then it's coming from a place of worth and not seeking worth. And then if your thought is, oh, I can't, I can't think about myself for a minute, much less a year, then that is your starting place. You know, the difference between us three and a narcissistic, a clinically narcissistic person is, is empathy. Mm-hmm. And so I have to look at that because if I struggle to be empathetic towards myself, I struggle to give myself compassion, then in that moment, I'm in a, a narcissistic trait. I'm in a narcissistic way. In that, right. right? Because I'm saying somehow I can hold everyone's pain. I can hold everyone's emotions. I can hold everything and not say anything about it. I can keep doing it. There is a narcissism to that that motivates me to go to spiral dynamics, go to the four stages that Brian came up with, yeah. find out where I am and how can I have some movement we repair means we move forward differently. How do I start repairing the ruptures, no matter how old or how fresh they are? How do I start repairing so that I can get to where I'm meant to be, not where, where I was told I deserve to be? Hmm, that's good. And there's a, there's a difference, because I, I can already hear some critics in the background. There's a difference between selfishness and connection to self. Yes. I am not saying that... Being selfish is a great thing. There is a difference between connecting to self and people that are wildly selfish. So I don't think what Kim and I are saying, we're not promoting selfishness. As a four, I'll be honest, I can be, when I'm not at my best self, I can actually be pretty self-involved as a four. Mm -hmm. And what helps me get out of that is to get into two space, which is to try to in those moments when I'm researching and whatever, like journaling or thinking about my life, if I can go to what do the other people in my life need, that gets me out of that self-involved space. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just think it's important mm-hmm. to remember that there's a difference between connection to self and selfishness. Because I think a lot of times the fear mm-hmm. with really conservative Christians is, mm-hmm. well, doesn't that lead to selfishness? Aren't you going to create a bunch of people that are all about themselves? And my answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. My answer to that is there needs to be a balance between you having worth for yourself and also going out and helping others. So I, I just think it's important to have that distinction. Mm-hmm. And and I think part of what we're saying is level one, simplicity, is selfishness of all parties involved. Right, because you're right. you're you're serving the pastors and the leaders of the church. That's right, and they don't have regard for you. 
in, in this stage, I'm not saying every church, those in this stage, and you are not regarding yourself either. You're neglecting right. yourself. And neglect is a form of abuse. You are abusing. So, again, that means something's happening in your life. You fragmented. You split off. You learn how to adapt, how to show mm-hmm. up a certain way. If you stay in that way, you may spend your whole life as a 12-year-old when God's Correct. called us to maturity, mm-hmm. called us to rise up. Correct. Yeah. Very true. Whew, yeah. This has been good. Any good times. Uh, final thoughts before we jump into the hot seat? There's a hot seat. There's yeah. a hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I think we covered a, a lot of it. Um, I think the main thing for me is my lived experience and also what the literature points to is that we heal by being in friendships and relationships with people Mm -hmm. that are safe Mm -hmm. and healthy. It's the number one thing we can do. So if your circle is not, you know, safe, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not, I'm not saying like peace out and and see you later. But what I am saying is like, because I understand the, the problem there but try to find some kind of community or people mm-hmm. that validate who you are. And that also challenges you, yeah. but we learn, we heal by being with people that are safe, mm-hmm. which is why as we learn more about attachment theory and attachment stuff, we, we don't, we don't heal by talking about all the stuff that happened to us. That was bad we actually heal by visualizing or envisioning what a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with someone could be because mm-hmm. then our brain, because of neuroplasticity, we mm-hmm. create new mental frameworks mm-hmm. to be able to have a healthy relationship with somebody yeah. or have friendships that are healthy. Yeah. So for me, the reason I do what I do is because there's hope. Like if there was no hope for people to change, it would be a really depressing field to, to yeah. be in, right? <laughs> yeah. But we know so much through Dan Siegel's work, through mm-hmm. just so much, through so many people, there is all there is hope for you to build new neural pathways mm-hmm. and for you to heal. So there's yeah. always hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we can't grow unless we feel safe. And so I want to say, because I think it's possible, I could have sounded a little hyped up, self-righteous. In this, but just the idea of the past year and a half, and Thomas, you and I, all three yep. of us, have been through something. And so yeah, <laughs> I haven't been my best self. Yeah, Like, I've been in different levels. And that's part of the passion that I'm speaking from today of just that excitement of getting out of being at a certain level. And then all of a sudden being knocked down so far, because, you know, Maslow's high care of needs, you know, the, the basic level is like food and sleep, where I couldn't eat. I, I couldn't always yes. sleep, right? Like it yes. was it was such a sense of just fragmentation and and not in a sense of belonging anymore and not knew who I could trust anymore. Not like like it really knocked both of us, you know, and Thomas That's too. I know you went through a hard time to a level that this part of my assignment is spiral dynamics and Brian and so much other work is what helped me have a framework. And I'm That's so right. thankful for the people who are in my community that were still there for me, that hung in there with me, that didn't believe the things they heard, <laughs> right? They just sat with me and they just sat with Larissa and Thomas, you and I sat with each <laughs> other. And, and all three of us did because we were all at the same time in a season where we went from a certain level to really being bottom out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so it's good to be oh, yeah. here today and being healthy, but I hope everyone's hearing me in a sense of love. It's just the excitement of knowing we can we don't have to stay where someone else tells us we have to be or someone else a situation can cause us to feel like we should be in. Right. Yeah, that's good. Very good. And let that be a reminder that for those of you that are in therapy, that your therapists are also mm. people. You know, yeah, we also yeah. that's right. We go because right. part of what you know, Kim, I don't know if you if you felt this way, but part about partly what it means to go through really, I'll be a, I'll be a good human and not cuss, but really crappy situations is you learn to be a better therapist to people, you know, because not only do, because before a lot of that stuff was theoretical, but when you go through moments where it's like, what am I going to do tomorrow? What is, Mm. what is Mm. my life? You know, what Mm -hmm. kind of decisions did I make? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You realize, oh, 
it is, it, there's a, a deeper level of empathy and understanding for people in that yeah. process. So, well said. Yeah. So true. Yeah, I can see that. All right, here we go with the hot seat. Okay. What is the hot Thomas seat? Thomas looks scared. I was not prepared for this. Let's go. We're I'm right. ready. First, We're first question goes to Thomas. What's your favorite movie or your binge, like a binge-worthy TV show that you're into right now? Oh, that's great. Um, so two TV shows that I'm, I'm currently watching Euphoria which is very, very good. Trigger warning for people that have substance abuse stuff, it can trigger you. So if that's your thing or you're recovering from that, maybe not. But it is, for me, it's just been a really phenomenal show. It's on Mm -hmm. HBO. The Mm -hmm. other one is Drive to Survive on Netflix, which is all about Formula One. And they do, it's like a documentary about all the the racers that are doing it so... A little bit of both. Okay. Well, what about you, Kim? Well, you know that you know this is like embarrassing to say because <laughs> you and I watch oh, this now together. I know the answer. Yeah. I call them those people just as a joke, but it's really called Married at First Sight, and I feel like I've lost every cool point <laughs> I could have. It's addicting. It's addictive, In a good but way. It's but a I think it's I think it's that I never thought I'd be married. All of a sudden, wow, here I am, married and watching, and we got married seven months after dating mm-hmm. so it's not the same thing as married at first sight but there's something about watching them in their process that's been good conversations for us yeah we'll pause so, it constantly yeah it brings up a lot of good it's a good conversation yeah. starter so just to clarify for those who haven't watched the show <laughs> it's not two people who meet for the first time and get married five minutes later. No, they yes. meet right? at the altar they meet at the altar like they meet that day they married at first sight experts yeah. Experts. So like arranged marriages? Kind of, yes. but through like experts. Yeah. Ex- they, they all sign oh. up and experts put them together <laughs> and then they have to be married for eight weeks and then they decide if oh they're going to do an annulment or stay together. Oh my gosh. And, and a lot of times they're young. So us at our age can watch them and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, because they don't know any differently yet. Right, that sounds experience. incredible. It's I'm gonna experience. have to check this out. <laughs> it's on Netflix. No, it's on. Hulu. Well, we, we watch it on Hulu. It's on I Hulu. think it's on Netflix. Too. Okay. All right. So, Thomas, what is on your nightstand right now? Oh, that's that's great. <laughs> I, I'm in a book club, uh, and so I'm reading this thing. This book called I think it's called The Anthropocene Reviewed. Um, I can say that. <laughs> I know it's a very complex uh, title, but. It's this guy talking about just a bunch of random things in the history of things. So it's kind of mm-hmm. nerdy. Uh, and I'm always reading like um, different, different like therapy books. So oh, I'm yeah. currently reading Adultured Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal. So I'm going to yeah. get that from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your nice hand, honey? Well, one, you, you would know. Well, but, but they don't. Okay. So water. A thousand water, hair, water, and a thousand hair ties. All right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now I know your answer to this, but Thomas, do you have any pets? Do you have um, dogs or? Yes. Tell me about them. Her name is Aurora, mm. and she is a Yorkie poodle mix. Oh, Yorkie's so, the best. Yes. She's very, very cute. I love very her. Cute. And what about you? We have two Yorkies, Bella and Minga. That's they both right. love you and care about you, and I'm like secondary at best. All right. They were qu- very they were very cautious of me when I went over there, but then they well, kind of warmed up a little we bit. We talked to them about you. So that's why <laughs> they're ready for you next time. All right. Um Thomas, if you could change your name, what would you t- change it to? Oh my gosh. Um Kim, you go first. Such a cheater. So I think the name Kim is very mundane. Okay. But my full name is Kimberly. So I did change it. I split Kim and Burley. So I'm Kim Burley. So <laughs> I totally did not know that your full name was Kimberly. Am I allowed yeah. to call you Kimberly when I Well, I split you? it. So I split <laughs> it to Kim Burley. I split the name. So my middle name is now Burley. So I split my name just to make my parents mad and they did not care. <laughs> At all. <laughs> At all. So that's my answer. I, what is your answer? 
I don't know that I have an answer. I feel like I I wish I had more time to think about it, but I don't like Thomas. Thomas seems very like regular, very Enneagram four here. It seems very yes. ordinary and regular. Right. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe right. Cam Newton, because I like the Panthers so much. So who knows? Does he even play for them anymore? No. We okay, just traded ahead. for Baker Mayfield, though, so we're going to be all right. I'm telling you, everybody's crapping on the Panthers. We're going to make the playoffs this year. Let's go. Okay. All right. Let's all right. go. All right. Last last question. What's your favorite non-alcoholic drink? Ooh. Can I show you? Yeah. I have I'm it in my to fridge. describe it, too. All right, honey. Um, it's Pellegrino's yes. Blood Orange. Oh, uh, we love Pellegrino. Yeah. I love Pellegrino. Yeah. So I like a drink that both of y'all will be upset about. It's called Liquid Death. Yeah. It's just a sparkling you, water. I would You gave it. me that for, <laughs> yes, I think it was right. my birthday. I think it gave and me Liquid it was Death. literally one of the most disgusting things I've ever had. Well, I, I like the name of it. But y'all were Enneagram 4, so you're like crying about it. I think it's hysterical to I'm name just, something Liquid Death. I'm just like, I wouldn't drink it. I think it's name. great. I'm going to drink one tonight. So, for Have y'all. you not had it, Larissa? No, I'm not drinking that. She won't even. She, when we were at the airport recently, I was oh, going to grab I, one before we got on the plane. She She's like, you cannot right have plane. something called liquid death on a plane. So well, I didn't get it. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Thank y'all so much. Y'all are amazing. And Larissa, excellent job interviewing. I know Thanks. it's not by any stretch your first time yeah. with all your expertise. But, Thomas, thank you for your time. This was fun. It yeah, was fun. Thank you. We truly hope you've heard something today that's helped you flip your lid and then reconnect to who you really, truly are. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today. <laughs>